Welcome to Marxist Voice, bringing you ideas and analysis from Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. For regular updates, subscribe to our podcast through SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider or visit www.socialist.net. Hello and welcome to Marxist Voice. Uh, My name is Adam Booth and I'm the editor of Socialist.net the website of Socialist Appeal, the Marxist voice of labour and youth. In our latest podcast today, uh, we're going to be joined in a minute by Helen O'Connor, who's a former nurse and now GMB union organiser for healthcare workers. And she's going to be talking to us about conditions on the front line in the NHS amongst uh, workers who are fighting the pandemic, the coronavirus. Um, And just before that, a reminder, this is a live stream broadcast. Uh, So if you've got any questions for Helen later in the show, we'll have time to take those. Uh, Just check out over here the uh, social media and you can follow us on all of these things and send your questions in either on the YouTube channel or on Facebook. And we should have time for some of those later. Uh, So without further ado, I'll get Helen on the line. Helen, hello. hello. Hi there, you can hello. hear us okay? I can hear you grand, yeah, yeah. So, um, how, how are you doing? You you okay? You're at home? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, yeah, busy, busy. But um, yeah, we're fa- basically we're facing a situation where the NHS is under huge pressure. Now, I organise in the NHS, so I organise nurses right through to cleaners, porters, ancillary, ancillary workers. Um, my members are all on the front line of dealing with this coronavirus pandemic. Um, they can't just stay at home. Um, they have to be on the front lines. And obviously the hospitals are going to be the focal points where the patients are coming in who are testing positive or suspected of having coronavirus. Um, Now, unfortunately, we're in a situation at the moment where the NHS is under huge pressure. The NHS was under pressure already from years of cuts, privatisation and austerity. So what we're looking at here is a system that's not fit for purpose, basically, at the best of times. And it's just going to be put under severe pressure now that everybody's dealing with this coronavirus pandemic. Um, We're hearing there's not enough equipment, there's not enough staff. There's not enough beds. Um, So this is a situation that we're going into now. So my members are reporting, the outsourced workers are reporting, the the companies that employ them constantly make pay mistakes. Well, not mistakes, there's constant shorting of pay as as it stands anyway. Um, They're also saying that they don't have the PPE, the personal protective equipment, like the masks, the sanitizers, the gloves, the gowns, um, to protect them. They're telling me that they are being bullied to go into the coronavirus positive areas in the hospital and do cleaning without the PPE. Um, Some of them have underlying health conditions, like, for example, asthma, respiratory conditions. 
The risk assessments are not going on. They're contacting me saying they're very, very worried. They've got this health condition. What should they do? Some of these contractors, um, we've pushed some of them in GMB union to pay full sick pay in the event that somebody has to, that a worker has to self-isolate. However, there's many more who, are, who have not signed up to that. So we're talking about workers who potentially, if they have to go off sick, um, they would just receive the statutory sick pay, which is as little as 94 pounds per week. So how can anybody self-isolate if they're getting 94 pounds a week? They won't be able to pay for their rent. They won't be able to pay for their food. So it's very, very serious that our members are faced with a really bad choice of either falling into destitution and poverty being on the 94 pounds a week or coming into work and transmitting the disease even further. Okay, thank, thanks for some of that background, Helen, and, um, and going into the details a bit about uh, the conditions. Um, just to go back to what you were saying originally, um, can you describe a little bit more about what's happened over the last 10 years or so of the NHS? I've seen some graphs going even further back showing that hospital beds per, you know, a thousand number of people have been in constant decline since 1970. Um, is, is this uh, the effects of austerity of privatisation or, you know, what, what, what or underfunding? What exactly has been going on in the NHS for the last 10 years or more that's led to this kind of situation? Well, look, you know, it's, it's been going on for longer than 10 years. Um, so what you've seen there is... Um, Hospital beds have been reduced and you've seen um, some privatisation happening. Um, an example of some of the privatisation that's been going on has been the creation of these PFIs, private financial initiatives, um, where new wings or new hospitals have been built through these kind of financial vehicles, building company vehicles. Um, they've been built at an absolutely extortionate rent cost to the NHS. Um, so trusts will be paying back these huge crippling costs for the next 30 years. And at the end of it, the trusts won't even own these new wings and new hospitals that have been built. So that's the situation we're in. We, we know that the new builds, you know, they're a lot smaller, a lot less capacity. The bed capacity has been reduced. Um, we're finding as well, I mean, obviously the Health and Social Care Act of 2013 has taken all of that much further. Um, the Secretary of State has basically divorced himself for, from his direct responsibility to, to provide health care. Um, so what we're seeing all the time is a push towards um, the NHS, the NHS trusts going into foundation trusts is another example. When foundation trusts were in, introduced, um, basically hospitals became like shops competing with each other, if that makes sense. Um, we've seen a, a kind of a hollowing out, a kind of a separating out of services and, and basically the ancillary services, the porters, the cleaners and the catering services can be very quickly separated out and put into a bid to then be tendered out to a private contractor. So there's been a lot of that going on. Um, I started in the 1990s and, and that, that, was going, that was starting then, but it's accelerated a pace. Um, the result of all of this has been a reduction of hospital beds and a deterioration in standards within hospitals um, because the private companies, they don't um, pay the workforce the same as they would have attracted if they'd been in the NHS. They've eroded the other conditions like sick pay, pensions, etc. Um, so people are, any new staff coming in to work for the private companies in the NHS will be subjected to far, far lower 
conditions, so they're on poverty pay. Um, so all of this is creating um, a system where the NHS is becoming incre an increasingly unattractive place to work in, basically. Um, so if you can get more working in a supermarket or a little, for example, why would you become a cleaner in the NHS or a porter in the NHS? So people are opting to work in other places. There's a recruitment and retention crisis in the NHS because the, the pay of health workers has been held. It's been on zero and it's been going up by 1%. So it's not been keeping pace with inflation. So we're finding that the pay of the nurses, for example, is being driven right down as well. Um, so again, and then the workload, because there is this recruitment and retention crisis, people are leaving. And what you're finding is the existing staff, the workloads are just really, really huge. We're literally talking about one person doing the job of two and three people. And we're talking about that right through from nursing staff through to admin staff from the NHS. They're finding it impossible to cope. But when I used to work in the NHS, I can tell you, you wouldn't even get to stop for a drink. You'd be lucky if you got to stop to even use the facilities because it, it was that seriously busy you rushed off their off your feet we're hearing about people doing loads and loads of unpaid overtime because they're literally trying to catch up and do their notes at the end of the shift and staying on for two two and three hours to complete that work or being overjoyed when a hospital gives them a laptop that they can take home and carry on doing their work from home i mean that's 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 just an example of just the pressure people are under already and now we're, we're looking at this very serious situation where there's a this coronavirus is is coming and we know that trusts are going to be absolutely overwhelmed we know they're not going to have enough beds for example um they're talking about rationing of beds which means basically they'll pick they'll be doctors will be put in a situation where they have to pick who gets admitted to the icu bed for the care and who's who's going to be left home basically to in a critical situation, just left at home with no support. That's the situation we're going to be facing in the next few weeks. We've seen Northwick Park Hospital um, declare a critical incident because they have run out of ICU beds. Um, we're hearing there's not enough ventilators either. Um, some companies are, are, are rushing to, to make those now. Um, but the situation, the, the NHS is not um, equipped to cope basically with this catastrophe that's that's coming um, and it's a huge public health issue it's going to have a massive impact um, there's a shortage of equipment staff and beds like I said um, you, mentioned, um, you mentioned earlier about the lack of uh, what they call PPE the the personal protective equipment <clears throat> can you uh, explain a bit more about that because I've seen some shocking images uh, as I'm sure many of our viewers will have done of uh, of doctors uh, and nurses wearing bin bags and using gaffer tape uh, to try and basically protect themselves because of the lack of equipment. Can you can you go in a bit further and talk about just how bad these conditions on the front line are? Yes, and a lot of it's due to the fact that the logistics and the distribution systems are all privatised as well. So it's all very fragmented. And in order in order to get supplies into the NHS. Everyone's got separate budgets and there's layers and layers of bureaucracy that you have to climb through to get stuff into the NHS. So that's part of the problem here. Um, so the equipment, the kit, the visors, um, the, the surgical masks, there's not enough in the hospitals for the staff. Um, so the lower paid workers, my, you know, the cleaners, they're not getting they're not getting the kit. It's being prioritized, it's being rationed for the areas which which 
which, you know, is really, really serious because everybody's being exposed to this virus within a hospital. Um, we're finding that the, the FFP3, that the masks that you, you have to use if you're basically working in an ICU and you're having to resuscitate people, there's not enough of those. The government keeps promising that the um, equipment is coming, but I know as of today from speaking to members that it's still not there. So we, we need to see that actually, actually coming to the front line. I was speaking to some of my patient transport, non-emergency patient transport workers today. They don't have enough changes of uniform and management can't get the supplies. They've not got the supplies in stock to give them sufficient changes of uniform. And we know that this virus can live on clothing. The clothing needs to be washed at 50 degrees. Um, you know, and they, they need the, the covers for the uniform as well. They're in short supply. So, so it's very, very serious. And, you know, our members are, are worried about this. So that the PPE is at different levels depending on where you're working. But the other thing to remember about, about, about the masks is they need to be available for people who are diagnosed with the coronavirus as well, because the mask will prevent them transmitting the disease. Also, we've got some of our members quite worried that they live with people with underlying health conditions. And again, there's no provision currently for them in terms of what they can do. I mean, we would be saying that they need separate accommodation to be able to stay in during the crisis so they don't infect their loved ones and put them in a critical condition. I mean, I think, I think the key issue in this is that the NHS is going to end up completely overwhelmed that's that's the danger with all of this and like i said that the, there's a high we're worried about the high death rate of um staff particularly working in the icus um sort of the media reports are coming out about nurses on ventilators and doctors on ventilators um and these are the very people that we need at the front lines to help us all through this virus. And if they're falling sick again, that's going to con contribute to the staffing shortage. And it's all just um, just a really bad, bad situation, you know, all around. So the kit does need, does need to be there. We're talking about shortages of masks, of gowns, of gloves, hand sanitizer is a big issue for our non-emergency transport workers because they do not have access to hand washing facilities because they're on the road all the time they're not getting they're not getting those you know so it's 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 not good basically so so what is the mood like amongst these workers in the nhs i mean you're obviously in touch with people day to day as part of your job um and and obviously have experience of working in the nhs uh and have seen these conditions firsthand yourself have you have you have you heard from workers you know what the mood is like both going into this crisis and now with this extra surge of uh, demand for for you know care services yes i mean workers are, are as frightened as everybody else because they are hearing all the news reports now about how serious this is so they're frightened um and you know they're going in they're expected to go into work i mean the pay is very very low and they're expected to go into work and be on the front lines without the equipment that they need so it's a potentially very very unstable situation i would say and that was borne out with um the lewisham hospital workers um a week ago um because they they hadn't been iss the private company took over the contract they weren't paid properly on the 27th of February and it just dragged on for weeks and weeks and weeks and it's still dragging on. And as we know, those workers walked off the job on the 12th of March. They walked out. So, so this now was the, this was the cleaning workers that, um, that GMB represents. Um, I'm yeah. just going to bring up um, a little image for the viewers at home so they can see 
Um, so here's a picture from the strike uh, of cleaning workers uh, in Lewisham Hospital who went on strike, uh, you say, a couple of weeks ago now or one week ago? March. And so that was, that was just before the pandemic hit or was that just after? The pandemic was with us, but I suppose there was a, it wasn't as big in the, in the kind of consciousness of people as it is now because so we're getting a all... Long running dispute that's been it's going on yeah. yes yes it's a long-running dispute people have been very very patient our members have been very patient and they've been giving management there was two the, they promised it would be rectified a week later it wasn't and then on the 12th of march again they promised it would be rectified it wasn't and that was the straw that broke the camel's back really and um, it's led to a huge breakdown of trust, you know, within the workforce, with the man with management. And now we're in a situation where the pay still isn't sorted out. This Thursday is the next payday. And if it isn't sorted out, I'm, I'm seriously concerned that they, those workers could walk out again because they're in a situation now where they're facing this pandemic. Like I said, there's a shortage of PPE as well. So they know they're being put at risk. Um, hostesses have been ringing me saying they're expected to give food to the coronavirus positive patients in the side rooms without the PPE. Cleaners have been bullied by management and told to go into the side rooms. The pay per hour is £8.21 an hour. They're not even on the London living wage. Um, so some of them are thinking, well, you know, this is a risky, a high risk job I'm in now. The pay is so low and is it actually worth it? That's what we're getting. I know at least two cleaners who've refused to go back into work and I think that situation is going to going to um, increase um, all across the hospitals cleaners and porters and catering staff are contacting us with real concerns about what they're facing and the lack of preparedness in the trust and the lack of equipment the, a lack of advice as well and instruction actually um, cleaners are telling me and hostess that they're getting different advice from the NHS and completely conflicting advice from, from ISS. And an example of, of that is in Lewisham Hospital at the moment where ISS are telling cleaners not to clean the infected areas and then the clinical staff are telling them they must complete clean the infected areas. In the meantime, the, there's been a promise that specialist cleaning teams will be set up to go into the infected areas and that's not happened. So that's putting our members in a very, very difficult position indeed. And so the GMB represents the cleaning staff and lots of ancillary staff in hospitals. What um, what kind of campaigns other than this uh, cleaners strike have, have GMB been, been running uh, in the NHS over the years? And, and what kind of campaigns are you running now in relation to this coronavirus crisis? So we have been, sick pay has been a massive campaign that we've been running. Um, and when I first started as a GMB officer, that was one of the main demands of the ISS workers in Kingston Hospital. So we've done a lot of work around that. We've had demonstrations and protests in Kingston. We have been to government, actually. We went to see Matt Hancock and raised the issue about the risk of people not getting sick pay and then coming into work in a hospital when they're sick when they're sick because that is a huge cross-contamination risk it's a risk to the public so for the help for the for the for, for public safety it's so important that if people go off sick they get paid fully and that there is a proper sick pay scheme now the company iss they do have a sick pay scheme but the problem with their sick pay scheme is they make people wait 
three days before they get a penny of sick day, sick pay. Low paid workers cannot afford to wait three days to get pay. They're living hand to mouth as it is. So we've had huge campaigning around that. We've also had campaigning around the London living wage as well. We want our members on an hourly rate of pay that they can live on. Um, a lot of them are on the minimum wage, £8.21, maybe £9. We want that pay driven up so we've been campaigning around that. Um, in Lewisham Hospital, we were, we were pushing on that. Um, ISS, eventually they took over the contract, they agreed that they would bring in the real living wage, but not until April. Again, we weren't happy and our members weren't happy about that. We wanted that money to be bought in the minute the cheapy transfer occurred, which was in February. And now, you know, they're not even paying the minimum wage to, the, to those workers. So it's all a bit, all shambolic, but we absolutely want to level up the, the pay terms and conditions of the outsourced workers in the NHS. And ultimately, we want those members back in the NHS, back on NHS pay terms and conditions, which is the way it should be. Because it's entirely possible that you can have a porter, for example, who was employed originally by the NHS, They've been stupid across, still on their NHS contract, which is great, but then they can be working alongside another porter who's just been bought into the company on far inferior pay terms and conditions. So you've got the two-tier and the three-tier workforce developing, and that creates all sorts of problems for, it creates resentment, you know, firstly, but it creates problems for us in terms of organising as well, because we need to get the demands, you know, obviously we want to unify the workforce and we want to get common demands across the workforce as well. So it creates an organising challenge for us, but we are thinking of ways around that. And we know that even the porters, the cleaners and the caterers run the higher, the better sets of terms and conditions we know that the private companies go after them to try and drive them out. We know that if any of them ever go for a promotion within the company, that they will be automatically put on the private company, paid terms and conditions. There's lots of people have been caught out like that. So we are trying to make sure people have that information. We're trying to make sure that the people on the better terms and conditions stand with the workers in the worst terms and conditions because, you know, obviously it's a benefit to everybody if they're on the same and then people won't be targeted, etc. So we've done, we're doing lots and lots of campaigning, um, definitely with the contracted out staff. We're also starting to do some work with um, some of the directly employed NHS workers as well. So, um, for example, I've got reps that I'm meeting now in Croydon who are nurses. And again, they've got a whole range of issues there around workload, around safety. Um, some of the positions that they're being put in risks their professional registration. In fact, they've been put in unsafe positions, asked to do unsafe things. Um, and they have that professional accountability and responsibility. Um, so we need to find ways to protect them as well and get them together and get them organised. Because um, one of the things about the NHS is... There's not, there is some good organizing going on in some areas, but it's not widespread. So there's a huge amount of work to be done there to get people organized on, on, on the ground floor and to have real, true collective bargaining and true collective raising of demands. Um, so that's all ongoing um, within the NHS. Like I said, it's, it's a big amount of work that we're, we're doing. And, and I've seen also that the GMB has been spearheading a campaign uh, over the question of uh, hospital beds and how at the moment there's something like two million pounds per day or per week. I can't remember the figure. Maybe you can give it this, give us the exact figure. That basically the, the 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 taxpayers, the public purse, is spending 
to use private healthcare beds, uh, you know, beds mm -hmm. that presumably should be uh, part of the public healthcare system in the first place. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that campaign and, and other kind of political uh, demands that, uh, that, that the GMB is running uh, on the back of this coronavirus crisis? Absolutely. Well, that was a fantastic um, piece of work led by my own trade union. And our demand, just to be clear, was that private beds should be requisitioned um, so that that's what we that's what we we set out to do and the petition's gone really really well and there's been a raising of public consciousness I think with this particular demand I mean we've also in terms of the Chancellor's budget um, so you know that we know that there's 350 billion um, being released now um, the Tories have told us, haven't they, for many, many years, there's no magic money tree, but now apparently they found a magic money forest. So this 350 billion has been released. And as GMB, we want to see people put before profit in this crisis. So we want this 350 billion to go into the pockets of the people. And we've made quite a few demands off the back of that. You know, people's bailout. We want jobs. We want we want jobs protected, and we want incomes protected. They're they're the key things. Um, so you've seen that things have been developing on that. Um, also, you know, we, we just want to make sure that this money, you know, is not siphoned off into profit, that it doesn't just go off to some tax haven somewhere, that it goes into the pockets of the people, because our members are the workers who are going to keep this country going through this coronavirus pandemic. They're the cleaners, they're the bin men, they're the people driving the lorries, the shop workers. And we want those, those people to be protected through this, through this pandemic. Um, and we just want to make sure that they have every resource that they need to get us all through. And they're the people as well, let's not forget, who'll be rebuilding this country when this virus is over, when this pandemic is over. So they're the people, you know, there's a real question here to be asked about the, the jobs and which jobs are actually needed in society. And they're the jobs that our members do every single day um, that are valued very little. But now we're going to see in this crisis that, you know, these jobs are so necessary and people are out there on the front lines of this and they need to be rewarded and valued for that. And that's where we want to see some of this 350 billion going. And we want to see it going to rebuild the public health services that we all rely on um, because they've been absolutely decimated over many, many years. So we want um, we want some progress made on rebuilding, rebuilding those services that we need as well. So um, yeah, there you Excellent. go. Thank, thank you, Helen. And I, I, think, I guess that leads on to the final question, really, which is uh, the fact that after this pandemic is, is over, uh, when the dust has settled, if it ever settles, presumably there is going to be a lot of conversations opening up about the future of the NHS, uh, about how uh, it has been starved of resources all these years, how it's how it's not really fit for purpose in terms of uh, just day-to-day -day activity, let alone the, uh, the the possibility of future outbreaks and uh, and diseases and so forth. So what kind of conversations do you think need to happen? And what kind of, more importantly, what kind of demands do the Labour movement as a whole need to be fighting for when it comes to the NHS? And I, I include not just the unions, but the Labour Party in that. Well, we want um, properly funded public services, um, we want social safety nets for people, you know, in the event that they're disabled. 
or they lose their jobs. We want we want services that people can can rely on, and there there will need to be a rebuilding going on. Everyone needs the NHS, whether you work in it, you know, you're likely to use it at some stage in your life or born in it, we die in it. So everybody needs the NHS. And I think the other thing that's being exposed in this crisis is just the sheer incompetence, really, of the private sector in terms of the way they, they do things. They're not equipped, to, even with the pay situation in Lewisham, it just, it just exposes that so much. They're not capable of even getting the pay right. The left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And I think for the last 30 years, we've all been told that the, pub, the private sector is better than the public sector. And that's just simply not true. We're seeing every day that's not true. And we're seeing the services that are going into the hospitals really deteriorate as a, as a result of these private companies moving in. And that's a risk to the public. You know, the lack of sick pay, the fact that the meals, the meals are being driven down. In Lewisham Hospital, there's a plan to go from moving to cooking fresh food to doing cooked chill. Jobs will be put at risk. So that all has to stop. All of that has to stop and we, we need to see all of these private companies they need to be out of our public services out of our nhs particularly that's what that's what we need to, they're the kind of conversations that need to be had going forward and the sort of demands that need to be made universal credit isn't working it's 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 a nightmare for people people are people are in all sorts of hardship as a result of that let's get real about benefits let's have sick pay and, and benefits that people can actually live on. They can actually afford a week's shopping. They can afford to pay the bills. We've got 2.9 million children living in poverty in this country. These things need to be rectified. The children, they're our future. We've got children, they can't, they don't even have a bed to sleep in, in this country. How can they, how can they grow up to become the, you know, the future generations of workers that we need in, in our society? I think, you know, we need to move towards discussing what sort of society is needed um, for the good of everybody. You know, basically, I think they're the kind of conversations that, that need to be had. And this pandemic, I think it will expose um, a lot of the, the I think it'll expose the, the fact that the free market is not a, is not a solution. You know, it's always been posed as a, as a solution to things, but there's going to be no solutions found to this pandemic in the free market. That's what I believe. Thank you for that, Helen. I think that's about all we've got time for tonight. Uh, but thank you very much for joining us and giving us these uh, uh, very illuminating reports from the front line and, and solidarity to, to everyone in the NHS who's helping fight this pandemic and putting in such heroic service uh, for you know fighting this disease. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. All the best. So thank you very much uh, for everyone at home as well who's joined us tonight. Uh, just a reminder, uh, if you're not already following us on the uh, social media, uh, check us out on Facebook, on YouTube, on Twitter, and of course the podcast Marxist Voice, which you can find on SoundCloud and iTunes and other major podcast providers. And then if you've enjoyed what you've heard tonight and uh, what you've seen on uh, our YouTube channel so far, then obviously check out the website as well. Uh, and if you agree with the ideas, please consider joining, donating and subscribing to help support us in the fight for socialism. Thank you very much for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in to Marxist Voice, brought to you by Socialist Appeal the Marxist voice of labour and youth. 
Subscribe or download the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes or any major podcast provider. Or visit www.socialist.net for all the latest news, analysis and Marxist ideas. 